racism exists on both sides. You just got one side that's more upfront about their intention than the other side that basically hides their intentions behind nice words. But when you look at the actual practices, nothing really happens. You know, Trump made more progress on criminal justice than any of these white and or black presidents you had before it. So again, when you really look at the actual data points and you just really ignore the headlines and all the spectacles, you got a lot of people. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of black people that are in the middle class right now looking at their 401ks dropping, looking at how much they have to spend in the grocery and at the gas pump, looking at it like, you know what? This nigga Trump wasn't that bad. School is in session. I am Donovan. Welcome back to Stranger Fruit and our special summer school series where we explore some of our past conversations, some current events, and a few topics that we believe as black and brown folks it is important that we are well versed in. Last week we got into the psyche of conservative black and brown folks in an attempt to break down what keeps us from being a unified voting bloc. In this episode we dive deeper getting into the racism power dynamics, and the biggest issues that keep people divided. Now, if you don't already know, Stranger Fruit is a -a one-of-a-kind video podcast experience where you get to be a fly on the wall as some of the most brilliant young voices from the black and brown diaspora bring you unfiltered, thought-provoking conversations. We discuss and debate an array of fascinating topics from sex and politics to religion and sports. We may not always agree, but we are firm believers that conflict and compassion are a great recipe for empathy. When examining history, right, one thing is evident as a black person is that these folks keep playing in our faces with a poker face on hoping that we are stupid enough or distracted enough to not see what is happening. But the same question keeps coming up. Does a two-party political system actually work? With major issues like low wages, hyper-division, and climate change that threaten our actual existence, we seem to be faced with the never-ending conundrum of voting for representatives that are more devoted to corporations and partisan politics, rather than pushing policies that will ensure our future. Whether Democratic or Republican, there seems to be an overall push to keep business and profits first, and whomever gets stepped on or forgotten in the process is par for the course. In 2016, the country allowed Trump to take office despite the opposition of black folks. And here we are. The man is facing two indictments and a possible third. A whole seven years later and Trump is still dominating the political conversation even with record heat, civil unrest, and the possibility of World War III. Listen, it's a lot to unpack, but we are back with a great cast to help us do it. Special shout out to Paige Fernandez, advocate and organizer in Philadelphia, Sylvester Annie Jr., the founder of The Love We Don't See, and ex-California congressional candidate. We have Dr. Angel Jones, professor and critical race scholar, Carl, the financial expert, Option Gang founder and Grapevine TV vet, and of course, my co-host, Constanza Iliana, who are joining me for Chapter 2. Let's kick it off with Carl and Sylvester getting into the racism plaguing politics and what keeps conservatives of color considering the Republican Party as a viable option. You got a section of black people, whether they're doing it for benevolent or malicious intentions or seeing opportunities on the Republican side, being that we're a country with a two party system. So a third party doesn't really have a palpable opportunity, but 
ideally what black people should do is create their own separate third party. But that's a whole discussion for a whole nother day. But right now, a lot of people don't even see that as a viable option. So they say, fuck it. We see these opportunities in the Republican Party. Let's just eat out there. And that includes black people who don't identify as Republican. They identify as libertarian. But because certain states have rules where you can't vote in Republican primaries unless you're a registered Republican, people have to register as Republican. But they really uh, politically identify as libertarian. And most people in America, if you really break it down, ideally identify as libertarian. You know, it's so funny that you say that because you have people like Cinema and Mansion yeah. on the Democratic who, who often who often stand in the way of progress on the Democratic side. And, you know, people like me are like, they're obviously like Republicans pretending. It seems strategic to me. And I wonder if that's a move that folks should be making on the Republican side, getting in on there, pushing forward, you know, the things that are priorities for them and seeing if we can move things forward in that way. I think, Carl, I agree with you. Yo, Donovan, real quick, that's what's happening. You got to understand the racism exists on both sides. You just got one side mm-hmm. that's more upfront about their intentions and the other side that basically hides their intentions behind nice words. But when you look at the actual practices, nothing really happens. You know, Trump made more progress on criminal justice than any of these white and or black presidents you had before it. So again, when you really look at the actual data points and you just really ignore the headlines and all the spectacles, you got a lot of people. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of black people that are in the middle class right now looking at their 401ks dropping, looking at how much they have to spend in the grocery and at the gas pump, looking at it like, you know yeah. what? This nigga Trump wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, I think like um, Ileana really quickly, like uh, I, when I was doing research on, um, you know, some of these conservatives who are coming up who are of a color, especially like Myra, for example. You know, one thing that she kept saying was God, family and finances was what she campaigned on. Right. God, family and finances. And so what Carl talked about with people's pockets hurting. I think that for a lot of people, like, they don't really give a shit about anything else. They just care about their money. Like one Surviving. Thing that, surviving. Because what Myra was saying was that, listen, when the panty happened, right, the um, Democrats essentially said, y'all, stay home, right? We're going to give you some cash. We're going to stay home. And not understanding that some of these people don't qualify for cash, right? But anyway, stay home. You won't be able to go to the office. You won't be able to go to wherever you have to go in order to, to do your work, especially if you can't work from home. And she was saying that she understood that her constituents, right, they needed their job. They needed to be out there making money and they couldn't. And they wound up resenting the same party that was claiming to help them. And that's kind of like one of the complicated things that I think even Paige was talking about. Sylvester, you are a Democrat. You ran as a Democrat in California and you were a first time black congressional candidate. So What are your thoughts on, you know, a lot of things that Carl has said, some of the things that Donovan has said around this? Well, I agree a lot with what with what Carl said Um, and with even with the Democrat thing. I'm a Democrat. What Donovan said, I'm a Democrat. I haven't changed it, but I would probably categorize myself as more being independent of that. But because of how the laws are set up in terms of getting onto the Democratic ballot and everything and ballot access, you have to go that route or you're not going to get on that ballot. That's just reality of the situation. Um, but to even build on what Carl said, both parties are racist. One side is going to be more upfront about it. The other side is going to be more deceptive about it. Um, but essentially, we really, just to be honest about it, we have one party. We have one big corporate party and then all, all of the rest of us. 
And speaking to why you see more of that shift to the Republican Party, I, I believe that it's because at least if I go this route, I'm I'm gonna eat. I'm gonna get paid. I'm a, I'm a, my family's gonna be good. I don't have to worry about that. When you go over to the Democratic side, it's a lot of platitudes. It's a lot of uh, kente cloth, kneeling, right. very symbolic oh, gestures. Lord. <laughs> you know, versus actual actual tangible material it, um, it improvement of conditions. If you're gonna go to that right wing, that right wing side of it, but. Um, like I said, I, I mean, I personally, I believe going through it, I believe we do need to build something outside of our one party system that is going to be able to put the pressure. You're seeing all around the world, the different uprisings that are happening and the power dynamic is different um, that they have in those countries. And, and they can actually put pressure on their government and things are, you know, not to be an accelerate uh, accelerationist, but things are Materially worse here in those places, and we may be a little bit too comfortable to make certain moves that we saw being made in the '60s and the '70s and the '80s. That was followed with a big white backlash to dismantle communities. Right. That's a really, really great point. And speaking of backlash, I want to get into this because we would have failed if we didn't bring up the rollback of Roe versus Wade, and I also want to bring up climate change because. These are two issues that are very, very important, right? But they're not getting as much attention right now because people's pockets are hurting, right? But with these huge issues that we know are building up and they're really important, and I'm sure we're going to be seeing more protests. I'm sure we're going to have more conversation about this. But how do you reconcile joining a party that basically wants to take away these rights that we have been enjoying since most of us have been alive? How do people of color actually reconcile that when they're voting for Republicans who basically said, sweetie, you can't have the right to um, have control over your body? Can someone explain that to me? I would love to hear from Dr. Jones. I think for me, it, it, it makes perfect sense because I feel like a lot of folks that are pro-life, and I don't believe that they are pro-life, but those who claim to be pro-life do so under the guise of Christianity. Um, and I think that there's a lot of religion within the Black community, right? The Black church has been a cornerstone in our community for a very long time. So I do believe that a lot of folks that are pro-life within the Black community, because I won't speak for other communities, um, tend to be that way because of religious beliefs. Um, some that actually believe it and some just under the guise of it because they don't want to seem... Mm-hmm. Right. Just go with the flow exactly. But like, but like Carl was saying, like, I don't believe that our people are a monolith at, at all. But I do know that there are a lot of folks that, because of religion, don't believe in a- abortion, which is why they're OK with these rights being taken away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, Dr. Jones. Go ahead, Paige. I mean, I think just to like reiterate what Dr. Jones said earlier, I think that was a really important point is that, you know, people of color still harbor other prejudices, right? And that can impact their vote. You can be anti-trans, you can be anti-abortion, still be a person of color, and your values will align more heavily with the Republican Mm. Party. I think the other thing to bear in mind here is that politics are really messy behind the scenes. And I think that there are a lot of people who are like, well, you know, they're not really anti-abortion, you know, because there's a range of Republicans and different talking points. But at the end of the day, let's just be perfectly honest that the Democratic Party is not a pro-abortion party. 
Biden has not said the word abortion since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Roe v. Wade is also the bare minimum. And so I think going back to the point everybody on this call has made that like, this is one party, right? The Democrats and Republicans are one party, as Sylvester put it, like one corporate party. Um, They're actually so much more similar than they are different at the end of the day and have a lot of the same motives. You know, I like these conversations where sometimes I'm like, God damn, this is sad. A lot of what she said is true. And, you know, I, the analogy I prefer yeah. using as, as opposed to saying one party, party is there's two wings of the same bird. So there may be slight variances, but the overall objective is getting achieved, you know, by that one bird. They're just two wings of it. And that bird is the actual bureaucracy that exists in government. People think when a new president comes in, you got thousands of people in all of these departments. These people last beyond uh, presidencies. It's not, you know, there's just certain heads at certain positions That's that change. But the body of the beast is the same beast that just operates through different presidencies. So that happens. But the same outrage you have and pointing out to those religious beliefs, because, again, especially when if you want to use that POC term that I hate, you know, you have people, whether they're black, Hispanic or whatever, that have religious beliefs, especially on a topic like abortion, that would coincide with, quote unquote, white conservatives. So when you factor these things in, that same demographic of people, say those same religious people, will also look at the Democratic Party and be like, how could you vote a guy president that supported the crime bill back in the day? You know, he was saying a lot of the same rhetoric that people said they weren't messing with Hillary Clinton for. He was supporting those same laws and those same oppressions that happen towards black people. And that some of those laws have got reversed actually in the Trump administration, ironically, beyond all of the spectacles and all the bullshit you've seen when you look at the pure data. So the same way you're like shot, like how could a person of color support abortion? There's religious people of color looking at you like, how could you support a person that's put in oppressive legislation that is damaging our people for generations? And now you're making him president. They'll have that same outrage. And both outrages are justified. But the problem is we're so polarized that no side sees the other side's outrage as legitimate, when in reality, they both are legitimate. It feels like we are all outraged all the time. Carl is right, in my opinion. I think most people are somewhere in the middle. And as we are now gearing up for the 2024 elections, we see DeSantis using education and trans people as vehicles for division in hopes to use the conservative disposition of some black and brown folks to win him votes. While some people are taking his bait, it's not getting him any further ahead because Trump has partisan politics on lock despite being the first candidate to be facing indictments while running for the presidency. He is in the lead to win the Republican nomination, might I add. It's early, but that says a lot. It feels a little bleak out here. Now, even though both parties are shitty, isn't it our job to pick the less evil candidate? Hmm. Let's get back to the conversation as Carl and I get into why Democrats seem to be losing what should be an easy battle to Republicans. And why are Democrats missing the mark and losing some black and brown voters? Donovan, they're getting influenced by the HBCU new blacks. And that's the problem. Yeah. You got this whole class and this is why. And I'm just going to speak to blacks in particular, but it happens with all races. You have this whole separate class, especially that black political class. You'll notice they won't promote any of these black people to these positions of power that don't either have a white partner, even if it's 
a person like the press secretary who's in a, a, a lesbian relationship, mm. her partner is still a white woman. It's not a black woman. So they won't. There's this whole class of black people that grew up in white suburban neighborhoods that don't really resonate with the core issues that black people face. But those are the people who go to these um, historically black colleges, start learning their blackness and get motivated by learning their blackness in their later age. And they start carrying these ideologies and even terminologies like Latinx. Again, you'll walk around New York and New York is one of the most culturally accepting, diverse people. And you won't see anybody that's outside of media and the news in New York using the term Latinx. I don't care what neighborhood you walk into right now. You find any Hispanic person, they will have never used that word in their life. But again, that's promoted like it's something that people have to say if they want to appeal to a whole population that doesn't even use the word themselves. But it's because the think tanks and the information they're gathering are from a certain group of blacks that don't represent blacks as a whole, even though they're not a monolith, they don't even represent a majority of blacks. They just represent that elite population of blacks that grew up in white areas, face certain things, you know, oh, my teachers didn't believe in me. And you have a whole swath of black people that had black teachers. And it was the opposite, that their black teachers supported them and they never had any of those stories that are the quote unquote historical black success stories. Again, they only highlight certain positions. They're only going to highlight black men that are coming from single mother households. If they have dual parent households, they're going to always minimize their family background, whether it's an athlete or an entertainer. But if they come from a single parent household, they're going to highlight it. And, you know, that's going to be the focus of their struggle story that they're going to build a brand around. This thing happens in entertainment. It happens in politics and politics is entertainment at the end of the day. That's true. They picked the token blacks very specifically, and it's very, very annoying to see. Sylvester, if you have anything to add to that, Dr. Angel or Paige, feel free to. Yeah, to add to that, I do think there's a lot of merit in what what Carl said. I think that what we ultimately need to do when we're talking about, like, where do we go from here? Um, I do think that we are captured in a paralysis analysis of what's going on and what's happening. And I think it's stopping us from actually building the type of power and autonomy to dictate the terms that we're living under. And I think that people have to ask themselves, truly, how much are they willing to sacrifice for the type of lives that we know that we deserve? Um, You go to the civil rights movement, Montgomery bus boycott. That was 390 days when he went there. And when he went, when Dr. King did the Albany campaign, he was there for eight months. Follow that up with the uh, uh, Birmingham campaign. He was there over two months. This is a, uh, like subjecting yourself to daily arrest, to daily violence and threats on your life and your family. And at the end of the day, what they were doing, they were disrupting capital. That's where we need to start. That's where our leverage is, our powers and our labor. And if we want to change anything in this country, I think that we have to be very serious about um disrupting capital and and understanding that that's where our power is to make any systemic change happen. Come on, analysis paralysis. (laughs) Sylvester brought up a great point here. We talk a lot of shit, but do we really have the stamina to hold the line like our ancestors did during the civil rights movements? Are we fighting back like our rights and lives are on the line? I think we are way better at being digital social warriors than anything else, and it shows. I had really hoped that after the murder of George Floyd, we would have found a way as a collective to hold, 
Law enforcement, big business, elected officials and the powerful accountable, but we have been distracted as fuck. Women's rights slashed. Queer rights are being chipped away daily. Affirmative action gone and books banned. We are not moving like our predecessors. In fact, as we mentioned in the last episode, we don't vote at the same rate as white Americans even though we had to fight for that right. And many people argue that they will not choose between the lesser of two evils. I get it, but aren't we always choosing between the lesser of two evils? Haven't we been shown that there is no perfect house? Sacrifices have to be made. And can we continue to afford to not vote? I mean, think about it. What would it look like if we held the black and brown vote back this election cycle? I don't know, but let's jump back into the conversation as Carl paints the picture with a special guest appearance from his son. What it's going to actually look like is you're going to see a Republican landslide in all the local elections and federal elections, which is probably going to happen regardless anyway. It won't be a landslide, but you're going to see Republicans flip a lot of seats anyway. But if it actually happened in totality where all blacks and people of color actually legitimately withheld their vote, like not by like the little amount that could sway it, but just like they actually didn't vote. And this was just like a white person person's vote. It would give Republicans a short term of power administration, but then it would also let both parties know that this block is not giving their vote to either party automatically. So they're going to actually have to provide some legitimate concessions legislatively if they want to get this party's vote in the next term elections. And then at that point, what you would have is that essentially both parties auctioning for the vote. And that's what essentially Asians do with their vote, because a lot of Asians end up voting conservatively anyway. But uh, the black vote is so guaranteed that all they have to do is give you the rhetoric during the election cycle, but they don't actually have to give you any results legislatively when they're in power, which happens whether the politician is a white, black, Spanish, whatever, Indian person, whatever. So, um, you know, it's going to take some pain at the beginning, but unless you're consolidating economically, which is going to take a lot longer, given that, given the uh, position in the race black people are at as a collective now, um, the easiest way would be to actually just retract votes from both parties altogether and just let them see the power if this vote actually does not turn out at all at polls. Wow. So that definitely like that would be like a long term plan. That's like more of like a eight year plan. Let them do whatever they, they do. We hold our vote. But but that's what Jews and Asians do. That's why China China sent all of their kids to America to go to school. And now you see those same kids. This was like a couple of decades plan. Those kids are actually the heads of these Fortune 500 companies and these tech companies. And what they do, they go right back to China and bring their operations there, too. So they come here and it's called a brain drain. They come here, soak up our resources, soak up our facilities, and they facilitate the building of their own countries. You don't have black people doing that for any country. And that's really why the POC term is so problematic, because you have people under this umbrella that are doing the actual right thing that they need to do. But that doesn't represent that entire umbrella of POC. Black people have no type of structures like that. In fact, their structures are being built by Chinese people. So even if you go to Africa, which contains 95 percent of the minerals that are required to make any type of computer technology, all of those mines are being run by China. And all they had to do was just build some roads and bridges and they have lifetime contracts to these raw materials. Black people don't have any type of structures like that. Yeah, yeah. 
that's a painstakingly true. I would agree with that. Um, Paige, I'd like to bring you in now here too. Like, what do you think? Um, and I'll throw to Sylvester and Dr. Jones after this. What do you think is next, right? So, you know, Carl answered that question about what it looks like if everybody withholds their vote. Paige, I'm interested to know, what do you think about what's going to happen next? Does Donald Trump get a pathway to come back? Or do you see Democrats fighting hard and actually being able to make some pathway to maintaining and to winning? Oh, no. The Democrats are going to get demolished. I mean, truly, they are like a wildly incompetent political party. They have no policy plan. They have no platform. There's no unity in the party. And most importantly, they aren't interested in building power, especially in marginalized communities. And the only way real transformation, radical transformation is going to come about is by building that power. Um, So I firmly believe Donald Trump will win again. And I think, you know, from there, the two options I see are really a full-blown revolution or really buckling down on trying to start a third party. Um, And I think, you know, I know earlier it was said that, you know, starting a third party is really challenging, but just not like there's this quote that I think might bring some levity to the conversation from Erica Miners, where like liberation under oppression is unthinkable by design. And so we're all, this is like, we are capable of doing this and creating these alternative systems and structures, Mm. but obviously it's unthinkable um, as we continue to be oppressed in the system. Baby, y'all got me a little shook. I'm not going (laughs) to lie, but I share your sentiments 100%. It's kind of like one of those things where if the task seems daunting of like actually being able to like get together, unify, create another party (laughs) and move things forward. But I just don't know what the alternative is, right? Like, I just don't know what that is. Um, Dr. Jones, I want to go to you for for your last comment, especially from a race-based perspective. Do you see things kind of like getting better or do you think things are going to get worse, especially as Democrats and Republicans fight to get um, people to vote for them? Um, I'd love that last line because I feel like that's the problem. They are fighting to get us to vote for them instead of fighting for us. And it's very clear. Um, And I think from an identity perspective, I mean, being Black in America is always hard, but I feel like right now our spirits and our souls are tired in a way that is inconceivable um, and indescribable sometimes. Um, And I feel like a lot of folks are giving up because of it. So I feel like Black folks that voted in 2020 were doing so because anything was better than Trump. But now being here, we're, we're like, is it better? Right? Like, it's not worse than Trump, but is it any better? So I feel like the apathy that is coming from the severe disappointment folks have right now is going to lead to a lot less Black folks voting, which is just going to continue to make us more apathetic because all the more things that are going to continue to not happen in our favor moving forward. Um, of course, because of the work that I do, I'm still going to fight for us. I'm still going to try to get folks to the polls, especially for these local elections. But folks are tired and feeling helpless and hopeless. And I get it. Yeah, indeed. People are going to be trying to renew their passports. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I definitely agree with everyone. 2024, that big presidential election, that's going to be a hot mess. A hot, (laughs) hot mess. But yeah, we definitely have a lot more to talk about in future episodes because a lot was said here today that we definitely want to unpack in future episodes for sure. Yes. And we want to thank Sylvester, Carl, Dr. Jones. Thank you, Paige, for being here. Listen, we have so many questions that we did not get to ask. 
But I think more so than anything, we have some really hard questions to ask ourselves, especially as Black people, as people from the Latin community about like, how do we create unity, even though we have so many differences? I really enjoyed this conversation. An entire year after the original one took place, it is just as relevant and on point. The next election cycle is going to be wild, and with so much at stake, we need to be engaging now to get our goals in order and to let these politicians know that we are not interested in giving away our votes. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode of our Summer School series, please give us five stars. We will be back next week with our take on the Manosphere. You do not want to miss it. So until next time, be kind, be curious, and be fruitful. Peace.